Well, as everybody is finishing finding their seats, if you guys remember last week, our modern day prodigal parable, a son from among you, who was also an employee of one of you in here, made off to New York City with several thousand dollars, which he had taken from you both. After a few months of not hearing anything from him, you're concerned, upset, frustrated, and conflicted. Meanwhile, with his stolen funds nearly depleted and a growing awareness of the realities and harshness of a fugitive lifestyle, the young man, let's call him Oni, that's the only nickname I can think of for Onesimus, <laughs> Oni, Oni, the young man, hears a convicting message and meets our formidable foe that you remember from last week, right? <laughs> Pastor Ross there in New York City, Times Square. Thank you. Now, picking up from where we left off. Through the power of the gospel, along with some Semitic persuasion, Pastor Ross ends up leading Oni to Christ. Oni's conversion is so powerful that he immediately tells Pastor Ross everything about his situation and asks him what he should do now. Ross is surprised to learn that Oni's ties lead directly back to the very church he pastors. And after talking some more over a slice of pizza, Pastor Ross devises his plan to make the situation right. That night, both of you, the parent and the employer, receive an email from Pastor Ross relating all of the relevant details of the day. He concludes by saying that Oni would spend the next few days serving with the team and would return home with them shortly. He requests that Oni be received with love and forgiveness as a new creation in Christ. And as far as what is owed on Oni's account, he assures you that he would have Pastor Jim pay back every penny. <laughs> That sounds like Pastor Ross. <laughs> well, we're going to be finishing up Philemon this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. It's very short, one page long in my Bible, so you might miss it. It's between Titus and Hebrews. Philemon. Give you a few moments to turn there. We'll read it together again since it's a short letter just for its context. It's 25 verses and then we'll unpack the remainder of the section that we left off at, verses 12 through 25. Philemon, chapter 1, it is only one chapter. The second service last week turned to it quickly. That's what I'm talking about with the first service, kind of being lethargic and slow. <laughs> it's mostly me that I'm talking about. Philemon, I think everybody's there now, it's the sea of pages ceases. Philemon chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother, to Philemon our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apphia our sister, to Archippus our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, 
Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a wonderful letter. Well, again, for context, Onesimus was a runaway slave and Philemon was his legal master. In his flight from home, Onesimus sought the cover of the crowded city, Rome, where he met Paul and became a believer in Christ. This letter is Paul's appeal for Onesimus. And as we'll see, it has a lot to do with Jesus' dealings with us. And so, like I said, we'll be unpacking verses 12 through the rest of the, the letter here. And in doing so, we'll consider two thoughts, two, two thoughts this morning. One, the social situation of Onesimus. And two, the spiritual substitution of Jesus Christ. The social situation of Onesimus and the spiritual substitution of Jesus Christ. Well, we see there in verse 12 that Paul is, is seeking a favor from Philemon regarding Onesimus' situation. And he wants Philemon to know how dear Onesimus has become to him as a brother, as a friend, as a servant in the Lord. He calls Onesimus his very heart. Now, I've experienced what Paul is talking here about here with uh, people being my very heart as far as the youth group is concerned, the youth ministry. Uh, I love all of the students and I love working with the students, but there's a few students within the group in particular that I've become naturally close with. And as I sit with them in our small group discussions in the high school uh, youth group, and I see their desire for the things of the Lord and their interest in the things of the Lord, and I contrast that with where I was at their point in life as a teenager, and I think about the, the virtues and the character that is uh, being built in them, I just can't help but think uh, and, and praise God and thank Him that He's doing that work in those students and uh, investing time and, and prayer and, and energy into those students is, has made them become my very heart. And uh, just like I think of what uh, the Apostle John says, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear 
that my children are walking in the truth. And that's how it is with those that we get to minister to and with and who grow close to one another. Well, Paul benefited from Onesimus' service and would have liked to keep him there in Rome, but he wanted to give Philemon the opportunity to make the decision for himself. So he was sending him back to Colossae. Now, the reality of slavery in the Bible is a very vast subject, which could take a whole series of teachings to consider. And I ain't got that kind of time. (laughs) And neither do you. But let me read from you an article from Wall Builders. It's a ministry that's dedicated to preserving American history and religious freedom. They say, when God gave the law to Moses, slavery was a part of the world, and so the law of God recognized slavery. But this does not mean that slavery was God's original intention. The law of Moses was given to fallen man. Some of the ordinances deal with things not intended for the original creation order, such as slavery and divorce. These will be eliminated completely only when sin is eliminated from the earth. God's laws concerning slavery provided parameters for treatment of slaves, which were for the benefit of all involved. The biblical slave laws reflect God's redemptive desire for men and nations. And it's also important to note uh, that that the Old Testament law only permitted voluntary or restitutionary slavery. And apparently, I made up the word restitutionary. It's not, it sounds like a word, doesn't it? It's not in the dictionary, so it is now, yes. We'll put it in the neologinary, which is the new word dictionary. The Old Testament law only permitted voluntary or restitutionary slavery. This is something that's commonly overlooked by the world as they bring up uh, you know, critical statements against the Bible. Kidnapping and enforced slavery were forbidden and punishable by death. This was true for any man, Exodus 21, 16, as well as for the Israelites, Deuteronomy 24, 7. This was stealing a man's freedom. While aspects of slavery are biblical for punishment and for restitution of theft, or for those who preferred the security of becoming a permanent bondservant, the Bible strictly forbids involuntary servitude and the unjust treatment of any person, slave or free. An example of law regarding slaves is found in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. It says, If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand him over to his master. Let him live among you wherever he likes and in whatever town he chooses. Do not oppress him. And this is a far cry, as I said, from the way that slavery is commonly thought of today. But wait a minute here, coming back to our context, did Paul, the great apostle, a former Pharisee, an expert in the law, did he not know what the Bible said about runaway slaves? It says right there in Deuteronomy, if a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand him over to his master. So then why did Paul send Onesimus back? Well, there was a need for a restitution because apparently Onesimus had stolen from Philemon when he departed. But also, that verse in Deuteronomy, that was Jewish law, and they were living under Roman law. According to Roman law, a runaway slave could not lawfully be received or harbored. If someone concealed him, it was considered theft. 
Also, the master was entitled to pursue him wherever he pleased, and it was the duty of all authorities to give him aid in recovering the slave. Paul was compelled to act in accordance to the law. But the question is, what law was Paul really obeying here? There's a greater law than Jewish law, than Roman law, or any other law. And that's the law of the Spirit of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, that is of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul had the law of the Spirit in mind. He knew that Onesimus' social freedom was a secondary issue. Social slavery was and, sim- and is simply a picture and a byproduct of mankind's spiritual bondage to sin. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. John 8:34. And as most of you know, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God because we have all sinned. Romans 7:14 says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. But the Bible says that though we were slaves to sin and unrighteousness, separated from God because we disobeyed Him and went astray, out of His love and mercy and grace, God came to earth as a man, lived the perfect life that we could never live, then gave His life as a substitutionary payment on our behalf. And now, through faith in the God-man, Jesus Christ, we are set free from slavery to sin, and have been made slaves of righteousness, the only position where there's true freedom. And this substitutionary payment is exemplified here in Paul's appeal for Onesimus. As you see there in verse 17, Paul says, If you consider me a partner, Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is the very thing that Jesus was saying to God the Father when he gave his life on the cross. Even before the cross, Jesus prayed in John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. Jesus is saying, he's with me. She's with me. Accept them. Welcome them as you would welcome me. Whatever wrong they have done you, charge it to my account. Theologians call this the doctrine of imputation. Not to be confused with the doctrine of amputation. (laughs) If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Fortunately, that doctrine isn't found in any credible books of theology, so don't have to worry about that. The doctrine or teaching of imputation simply says that through faith in Christ, his righteousness is credited to your account. It's that simple. Through your faith in Christ, God makes Jesus' righteousness credited to your account. And now, God declares that you are righteous. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 
The gospel message, as Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians, is the greatest wisdom that the world has ever seen. There's no other wisdom that comes close to this wisdom of God. It's called the wisdom of God, the message of Christ. And this gospel is a gospel of righteousness. It brings righteousness back into the life of the person. As you guys know, because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and because the wages of sin is death, we are now doomed to destruction, doomed to perish and be separated from God for all eternity. And through the work of Christ upon the cross, we are able through faith, because of the grace of God, to be reconciled in relationship to God. We had no righteous, righteousness on our own standing. Nothing about us was righteous. In fact, the Lord says that all of our good works, they're like filthy rags to him. There is no righteousness in and of ourselves. We needed somebody to make us or to declare us righteous. And that's what God did through our faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of righteousness. And now we are no longer slaves to sin through obedience to the gospel. We are changed and declared righteous and are now slaves of righteousness. Coming back to the letter, there is some evidence that Philemon received Onesimus as a brother and gave him his freedom. The internal evidence, which I think of and I, I put down here, is Paul's heart, Philemon's love, Onesimus' redemption. I think those are all internal evidences within this letter that bring pretty convincing proofs that Philemon would have consented to Paul's request. As well as the spirit, you know, that lives within me and within you and bears witness to the truth. These things convince me that Onesimus was given his liberty. The external evidence, I think, is simply the fact that this letter is in front of us today in our Bibles. Think about it. If you received a letter from somebody with a loving request that was also challenging, and you refused to meet that request, would you have that letter that was given to you personally published for all the world to see? I don't think you would. Like, look at this awesome letter that the Apostle Paul gave me. I paid no attention to it, but I want the whole world to see it from now on. I've got to believe that Philemon lovingly consented and gave Onesimus his freedom. That is the way the gospel works, declares Haley's Bible handbook. Christ in the heart of the slave made the slave recognize the social usages of his day and go back to his master determined to be a good slave and live out his natural life as a slave. Christ in the heart of the master made the master recognize the slave as a Christian brother, and gave him his liberty. What a sweet thing to see the unity and the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ working in these two men. Onesimus saying, you know, I will go back to my master, the one that I fled from, the one that I wronged by taking from him. I will go back to him. I will make it right however I can, and I will serve him in this position as a slave. And Philemon receiving this affectionate letter from Paul. I can't help but think that in his heart, the Lord was speaking to him and he said, 
This is the right thing to do, what Paul is requesting. The mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ speaking into his life and saying, Onesimus is coming back and is willing to be submissive to you as a slave. But now, you're going to set him free. And the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ working in both of these men to bring love and freedom and redemption. The Bible says each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. When you were a slave, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. And it was a great price. The blood of Jesus Christ. The greatest commodity the universe has ever known. The only thing that has the power to purchase the souls of men. The blood of Christ. That's the price at which you were bought. That's the price at which you were paid for. So it's only reasonable when Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I urge you brothers. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. This is your reasonable act of service. It's, it's only reasonable because of the price that Jesus paid for you, that you would in turn respond with a life that seeks to glorify him and bring him honor. That's what the gospel does. If it hasn't done that in your heart, if it hasn't brought up a desire to serve him and to respond to him with love and, and with affection and with obedience, then there's something that's been short-circuited there. If the message of Jesus Christ hasn't changed your life, then something went wrong. And it wasn't something with the message of the gospel. It's something in your own heart. And as we pre prepare to come to the communion table, uh, it's just an opportunity to, th to think about and to reflect upon the love and the sacrifice of Christ that he would shed his blood for us, that his body would be broken for us so that we, as slaves to sin, in bondage to our own sinful nature, born that way, born in transgression and in iniquity, not able to, to free ourselves from that, that we would become bondservants of the Lord. And as I said before, that's the only place where we can experience true freedom. I think it was Bob Dylan who sang, you got to serve somebody. And it's true. We didn't give birth to ourselves. We don't sustain ourselves. I do this thing with the uh, high school students, sometimes the junior high students. say, hold out your hand and move it like this. Go ahead, try that. Let's just try it. One time. Youth group all over again. Hold, move it like this. Now tell me, how did you do that? Well, I had impulses in my brain that went to my neurons and sent out this. Yeah, but how did that happen? I don't know. How do I have the power to do that? How do I have the power to calculate the trajectory of a football so that I can run to a certain place and catch it? I don't know. How does that happen? I also tell the students, do this. Hold your breath and see if you can make yourself perish. I probably shouldn't tell you guys that. <laughs> Parents, don't worry. They sign a waiver first. They don't try it because they know what I'm getting at. Some of them do. But the amazing thing is, is that even if you hold your breath 
until you, you'll pass out and then you'll start breathing again. You can't, you can't stop yourself from living in that way. I tell them to hold their pulse. Now, somehow, while you're just sitting there, make it stop. <laughs> and all of them are still with us today. So, <laughs> we don't sustain ourselves. We didn't give life to ourselves and we can't make ourselves righteous. That only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and God declaring that we are righteous by imputing, by placing the righteousness of Christ on our account. Lord, we thank you for the cross. That <laughs> horrendous instrument of execution that we gladly wear, we got gladly display because it symbolizes life for us, though it meant death for you. Oh, Lord, what a wonderful gift to be called your children, to be made righteous, declared righteous, and now to be children of God, to be able to enter your presence with boldness and with confidence. And you've done it all, Lord, for us through Jesus. Help us, Lord, to remember not what we're supposed to do so much, not the rules of holy living so much as the law of Christ in our hearts. Your word says, Lord, that we are to not let any debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. In doing so, we fulfill the law. And Lord, we know that that comes by thinking about you and loving you and remembering what you did for us. So help us to do that, Lord, as we go today and throughout the rest of our week until we meet again and get to hear the wonderful teaching of your word together. Commit ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.